1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of fight back more of what you want to hear from the week that was after taking a lot of criticism because of Canada's slow confused and stalled vaccine rollout the Trudeau liberals have announced the purchase of tens of thousands of more doses some of which are supposed to arrive soon. At the same time, a Leger survey revealed this past week that nearly 70% of Canadians believe the country is behind on distribution because of a failure to obtain enough COVID vaccine doses from the global market. On Tuesday, Fight Back strategy panelists discussed the messy situation with Canada's vaccine rollout. Libby Snymer was joined by Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario finance minister, and John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner, Fleishman Hillard High Road.
2: People are starting to get really, really skeptical, and, and rightly so, I think, with respect to, to, to the prime minister's, you know, protestations about, you know, vaccines coming and, and not coming. I think the issue, you know, remains that if if, if you start losing people's confidence in what you're saying, then I think that's, that's, that's trouble. And I think that we're seeing that with, reflected in the polling numbers. And it reminds me of, I was watching Governor Andrew Cuomo's comments in his oh, press, go, press uh, conference yesterday when he was trying to uh, deflect some of the criticism he's been getting about some of the long-term care fiasco that was under his watch in, in New York Um, And, you know, and people afterwards were shaking their heads saying, I just don't trust him anymore, or I can't listen to him anymore, or I don't believe him. I think when it gets to that stage, Libby, it becomes a problem. You know, we're all hoping and, and willing the prime minister and, and his word that, that we're going to be getting, you know, millions of doses. I think Pfizer says that they're going to be giving 10 million doses or shots between April and June. Uh, and now the prime minister is saying that, you know, most people, if not all Canadians should be vaccinated by the, by the fall. We all want that to happen. But I think what's happened is we've heard it before. Uh, we heard it going into 2021. We heard it at the beginning of, of this year in January. And then all of a sudden there were stoppages and, 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 you know, supplies being shut down or, or diverted. And, and the prime minister was scrambling to try to make make messages of that, and then Kim comes back and says, "Oh no no, we've got more doses coming, and we, we know Moderna and Pfizer's promised us, and J and J coming down with more." So I, I, we all want that to happen, but I think people are getting a bit skeptical, and and this will remain the number one issue, uh, given the fact that people are talking about a spring election, and this will be an issue whether the Liberals will want one if this is not resolved by March, or April, or May.
3: Charles, uh, do you agree? Is he basically losing credibility? And, uh, you know, I marveled at it even a week ago that he keeps repeating the same thing, which may or may not come to pass.
4: Well, I mean, trust is a big part of all this. And he hasn't changed his tune. We were always anticipating. uh, They had said that they were anticipated by the end of April, all the vaccines that they are being negotiated. And now we need him today. And he is fighting hard to try to secure those vaccines. And we're reliant, unfortunately, on foreign uh, delivery. And we didn't heed the warnings that were before us back in the 2000s and during SARS and H1N1 when we realized we didn't have sufficient capacity to manage this at home. And and now here we are reliant on, on, on foreign supply and there have been delays. But it's unfortunate because as you've said it before in your program, I mean, we're at 2.7 per 100 uh, vaccines versus Israel at 61.7 or UK at 16.2. And when we look at those comparisons, people get anxious and and these are people's lives.
3: So we we have
4: to do better. Well,
3: as of the weekend, we had fallen to something like 47th in the world for the rollout. I mean, you know, (laughs) what is it? Yeah, I I think, um, you know, the risks to, to
5: all levels of government right now are, are that um, we, we're just playing catch-up. And, and when you see some of the strategic stuff that Israel did in terms of uh, planning and, and, and executing their rollout, when you read about how uh, Britain managed their, va- their vaccine rollout and how they actually had a registry where they had um, people participate in trials, clinical trials to help advance the approval of the vaccine, when you see what all those countries did to be strategically ahead of a solution and then you can compare it to what we're doing, it, it looks like we're, we're not even playing in the same league and and it's showing in our vaccination rates well um, and-, and, and and that's the part i think the canadians are struggling with is that how how did how did every other country recognize the the, the imperative to, to be ahead of this vaccine and and, and get it and, and order it and have it administered and have it delivered and and yet we still as a if there is a grand plan it's being held quite secret because we don't know what it is And all of that feeds into the anxiety that there isn't a plan. And so really what the government hasn't done well yet, which they have time to do, is communicate. But even today we read, oh, it's everyone over 80. Okay, everyone agree. Everyone over 80 should get vaccinated. But then there's like side scuffles about, well, maybe it should be this group or that group. Just make a decision, communicate it, move on.
1: Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Tuesday's Fight Back Strategy Panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We here in Canada could soon see some major changes to the rules around medical assistance in dying. The governing Liberals in Ottawa revamped the legislation after it was struck down in court because of the provision that a person's death had to be imminent. Now the Senate has added some significant amendments which would allow Canadians to make advance requests for assisted deaths and would give governments and medical bodies 18 months to come up with guidelines so that individuals with a mental illness as their sole underlying condition could request a medically-assisted death. The amendments were proposed by Senator Pamela Wallen, who joined Libby on Thursday.
6: Here's the problem. There's a catch-22 in the legislation. Uh, In the old legislation, you could only ask for medical assistance in dying if your death was reasonably foreseeable, meaning imminent Um, In the new legislation, they've proposed that your death doesn't have to be reasonably foreseeable, but it has to be coming soon, and you have to have serious and grievous pain. But the one group they left out are the people who suffer from cognitive uh, disabilities, the issue of dementia, of Alzheimer's. The catch-22 is this, that you can't ask for medical assistance in dying before you're diagnosed, and once you're diagnosed, they say, ah, you have dementia. You're not capable or competent of asking. So we just wanted to try and eliminate that real problem there. It was kind of like the illness lottery. You know, if you had cancer or another very serious illness with, that, that brought, in, brought on irremediable, irremediable pain, you could ask. And if you had dementia... You could not, so that's really what it's targeted at, and it was passed by the Senate, and now we'll hand it over to the government.
3: Disability advocates uh, are very worried about it, and they believe that it will devalue the lives of people with disabilities and and lead to uh, death of people who are not considered valuable. How do you answer those concerns?
6: Well, every life is is valuable, and what gives me reassurance and What should give everyone reassurance, really, is how rigorous and strict this system is. It's not like you get to phone up and say, you know, um, I I don't, uh, I want to end my life now because I'm having a bad day. Or a family member can call up and say, look, uh, our our brother's a problem here because he, uh, you know, it's difficult to deal with someone with a disability. That's not how it works. In the first place, it has to be a question of choice on the part of the person. uh, And then you enter this system of assessment, which involves family and medical doctors and nurses and assessors who are trained to do this. And it's rigorous. And you have to go through that and you have to go through that process over time. And there are constant checks and balances in the system to say, are you sure you still want this to happen? Are you, you know, are you sure there's no other mechanism or service or treatment that we can find that would help you through this, et cetera, et cetera? There's lots of protections in the system.
3: Now, I'd like to uh, bring in Helen Long, who is the CEO of Dying With Dignity. What is your reaction to those amendments that the Senate is proposing?
7: Yeah, so there's actually five amendments. And I would say overall, Dying with Dignity Canada is supportive of the amendments. Um, to be clear, we were supportive of Bill C-7 in its original format. But I think a few of the amendments go that one step further. And certainly Senator Wall's um, amendment to allow for advance requests is something that we have long advocated for. This is the thing we hear most about from Canadians. Um, over 80% of Canadians that, that we survey annually would like to see an advance request uh, be an option for them. It's the number one thing that people contact us about.
3: Do you agree with the argument that really it's the same thing as a, as a, a do not resuscitate or an ad- advance planning, uh, say for the event of a catastrophic accident, do you see this as the same thing? I mean, I think it's, you know, from
7: my perspective, it's more of a next step to advanced care planning. So advanced care planning is something that we, um, You know, highly encourage Canadians to do. We have a kit and a provincial form available on our website at dyingwithdignity.ca. And this is, I guess you could liken it to a next step. It's about making your wishes known. An advance request would deal with a, you know, quite a broad range of um, inadvertent, catastrophic events, as well as um, concerns that people with dementia may have.
1: Helen Long, CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada, and Senator Pamela Wallen. The Senate-approved amendments to the assisted dying legislation go to the House of Commons for debate by members of Parliament on Tuesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, good news or bad news for Ontario's Greenbelt?
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. On the surface, it looks like good news for Ontario's protected environmental lands. Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark announced on Wednesday a plan to expand the Greenbelt around the Greater Golden Horseshoe, starting with 60 days of public consultations. But there are concerns and criticisms that a contentious highway through Vaughan, Caledon, Orangeville and Milton will still be built on Greenbelt land. While filling in for Libby Snymer, I was joined to discuss the issues around the Green Belt by Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner and Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark.
2: We uh, chose two subject areas um, to focus on on a 60-day consultation to grow the size and the quality of the Green Belt. This was something that was in our 2020 budget. And we focused on two areas, the Paris Gulf Moraine, which has been uh, discussed at, the, at Queen's Park. It was the uh, an actual private members' bill by uh, Mike Schreiner, uh, the MPP for Guelph and the Green Party leader, and the other area that we're looking at is expanding and further protecting urban river valleys. So these include uh, high-density urban areas uh, like the Don River in Toronto and land, for example, around Duffins Creek in Ajax and Pickering. So this is a real unique opportunity for us to grow the green belt. It's a once-in-a-generation uh, chance to uh, move. Forward with uh, the biggest and largest expansion of protected land since the Greenbelt was created in 2005. So, and, you know, I understand there's other issues, and you you outlined one of them. But I'm I'm focusing on um, the existing Greenbelt Act and and good opportunities.
1: So, what was all of that about uh, last year when the former Toronto Mayor David Crombie, other members of the Greenbelt Council resigned? Uh, we had uh, David Crombie here on Fight Back, uh, saying basically, don't Trust. I'm paraphrasing here, but don't trust anything that Steve Clark or the Ford Tories say about this. That they want to develop the Greenbelt land.
2: Yeah, and that's that's just not that's just not true. And I and I have the utmost respect for Mr. Crombie. I, I wished him well, and I wished all the other Greenbelt members well. And I and I spoke to the existing members of the Greenbelt Council last night. Uh, you know, I was I made no. Um, you know, I was pretty honest and open when they resigned. I had been increasingly frustrated that there wasn't any uh, monumental gain in putting forward a plan to grow the Greenbelt, even though it was in our budget. And I think there's tremendous opportunities to expand the Greenbelt. And, you know, I'm going to move forward on the plan. I committed to it uh, in December. It was in our budget. And I'm going to make it happen in this first 60 days, really put that plan in place.
1: Let's go to Mike Schreiner now. He is the leader of the Green Party and uh, member of Provincial Parliament for Guelph. Uh, Your reaction?
8: Well, the possibility of Greenbelt expansion is not going to cover up Premier Ford's agenda of environmental destruction. I mean, I want to see the Greenbelt expanded and advocating for the Greenbelt to be expanded. But actions speak louder than words. And if the Ford government is serious about Greenbelt protection and expansion, They would cancel the destruction of the Duffin Creek wetland. They would cancel the GTA West Highway 413. They would restore the power of conservation authorities. They would restore the environmental assessment process that they've gutted. This cannot cover up the destructive policies they've brought in over the last year or so.
1: But then you have Steve Clark clutching his pearls saying, no, no, this is not, what you're saying is untrue. We want expansion. Everything is on the up and up. It's complete. It's two different viewpoints completely. Well, let's take
8: the GTA West Highway, for example. So they're going to pave over, you know, 400 acres uh, of Greenbelt and about 2,000 acres of prime farmland that we need to contribute to our economy and and grow food for people uh to save commuters 30 seconds it's a waste of money six to ten billion dollars to save commuters 30 seconds why not invest that money in transit earlier today the minister said hey we're going to expand the green belt and protect the duffins creek watershed well then why are you paving over the duffins creek wetland uh for a warehouse like the the contradiction here you know um tells me that you have a government that's been under strong criticism, strong pushback from the public on its attack on environmental protections and threw this together uh, last minute to try to distract people.
1: My conversation with Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner and Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark on Wednesday. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Family Day this past Monday was a strange one in Ontario this year. During the pandemic, for most people, it's either been feast or famine when it comes to family. Some people are living with a number of family members, and in some cases, in multi-generational households. Then you have a lot of older people living alone and physically cut off from children and grandchildren. On Family Day, Libby was joined by psychologist Sarah Dimmerman, and Globe and Mail food columnist Lucy Waverman, who has an extended family she misses very much.
9: We have three children, and we have seven grandchildren. Our grandchildren are now older. They're teenagers, all of them. And it is harder, in a way, to be able to relate to teenagers through this whole pandemic than it is to younger kids, because with younger kids, There's always games you can do over Zoom. You can read with them. You can do all sorts of things like that. But older grandchildren are not really that interested in it.
3: Uh Uh-huh. And you're only seeing them over Zoom, right? Uh, We see them over Zoom, and we
9: have um, backyard visits um, for, like, 10 to 15 minutes um, when the weather is okay, or even if it's very cold. Like, they they came over yesterday, and we just, you know, we stood... I don't know, about 10 feet apart and and chatted for a few minutes. But these visits, even though seeing the kids is wonderful because you see the changes in them um, and you hear changes in them, it doesn't make up for um, having the real relationships.
3: Let's bring in psychologist Sarah Dimmerman. What's that doing to people? You know, um, family is everything.
10: Well, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> what Lucy was saying is, is so true in regards to, uh, you know, being separated from your adult children, from your grandchildren, from, um, you know, younger cho- everybody being separated from one another. I think that on a day like today, Family Day, where often families would get together in larger gatherings, obviously that's not happening. So a lot of people are connecting over Zoom, but then a lot of people are also suffering from what's called Zoom fatigue. So as you said, as you said, Lucy, you know, your, your adult, your, your teenage grandchildren are probably doing, uh, either a hybrid of learning online or doing all of their learning online. So when they, when, you know, it comes to chatting with grandma, or grandpa on Zoom again, they often, it's not because they don't love the grandparents, it's just because, if they've just had to enough and they want to take a break from screens, ironically. I mean, here we have kids <laughs> wanting to take a break from screens and wanting to go to school, which is, you know, if, if COVID has done anything, it's done that. So it is, it's, it is very challenging and, and people are having to find very creative ways to keep in touch with one another. And, and for a lot of families, this has been exceptionally difficult or it is exceptionally difficult.
3: Frankly, some people are not as strict as others. And I know Lucy that you are very strict and, and that has a lot to do. Your husband is is older. How do you handle that? Do you have people in, in you know, friends who are maybe not as strict and, and what's your reaction to that?
9: Well, we're um we're strict because not just because of us, but our children um are very conscious of their kids being in school or if not in school, they, they do meet their friends and even though they say they're socially distanced, who really knows? Um, so it's been, our kids have been major movers in, uh, not having, um, interaction, not just us. We wouldn't want it either, but, but the kid and the, and they have, have made it very clear to the grandchildren, but there were, you know, you're absolutely right about screen time. I mean, they don't really want to talk to you. The Zoom calls with grandchildren can be quite stilted. But if you can do something with them that they like, you'd be surprised at how, how they react. For example, and this is just awful. I did a TikTok with, um, <laughs> two, with two of my granddaughters, right? But they loved it and they made it feel, they felt that there was a a relationship there that they were missing. I mean, you do have to understand that you have to really try to deal with them on their level. Uh, Something else that one of my daughters did, she did a video. um, Got all the grandchildren in it, they chatted, and then they sent us the video. That was fantastic.
1: Fantastic. Libby's conversation on Family Day with psychologist Sarah Dimmerman and Globe and Mail food columnist Lucy Waverman. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Angela in Woodbridge phone to ask a question of Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark when he joined Fight Back to talk about his Green Belt expansion plans.
11: I want your government to understand the hypocrisy here. How is the government able to talk about protecting the environment and in the same breath speak of destroying it? It doesn't make sense that um, you're willing to build the proposed Highway 413 and then at the same time you're going to protect the environment. It just doesn't make sense. This mega highway that's going to mirror the existing 407, which is underutilized, just isn't needed at this time. Um, It's best if the Ford government spends its money on public transportation, not urban sprawl. This, This highway will be an environmental disaster. So there's hypocrisy here.
1: Claire in Mississauga called about the amendments to the assisted dying legislation and agrees that provision should be in place for people who would not want to live with Alzheimer's.
11: I
6: um, nursed my husband uh, until he went into a home with Alzheimer's. And I uh, most certainly, uh, if I was diagnosed with it, I would definitely request the medically assisted death. There's no question about it there's no dignity in it uh, nothing you lose the person that they were and uh, uh, or who you are and I wouldn't want my family to ever see me like that
0: and now Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week
1: In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rudy in Toronto, who phoned about the information he learned here on Fight Back about the process for the COVID-19 vaccine rollout.
2: This was the first time that I heard, uh, I uh, detailed a consistent uh, explanation of how the vaccine is going to be rolled out and, uh, and who's going to be getting it. Uh, I uh, haven't heard anything except uh, uh, confusion from the governments before that, so on. So that uh, sort of uh, gave me a bit of confidence, and I, I just hope that our, our government can uh, stand behind uh, uh, the, the uh, plans that he, he uh, told us about and, and get the vaccine to, our, to us uh, um, I'm yes. uh, 74, so I'm I'm waiting anxiously.
1: That does it for this week's best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby. and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at four one six three six seven. 9636 367 6, 3, 6, 9636 3, 6. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock and Zeb Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Nimer.